All right, if you have your Bibles today, we're in John chapter 4. Good to see everybody this morning. John chapter 4. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together and we'll read the scriptures. We're going to start in verse 43 today. Where the Bible says, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, that's an important thing to note, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, about 20 miles away, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, and this sounds really harsh, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this story and the scripture. And um, there's a lot of tension in this story, God, that we pray you would give us discernment and wisdom to see through and to understand. God, Strengthen and stabilize our faith. Anchor our faith. Not in answered prayer. God, thank you that you do answer prayer all the time and you work miracles. But God, anchor our faith in the person of your son. Anchor our faith in the crucifixion and the resurrection. Father, help us in our time of need not to toil in our own efforts or to be drowned in and consumed in our own worry, but help us to pray. God, help us to press into your heart. Help us, God, to bring those that we love who are in need to the, to the feet of Jesus. And, and God, in these days, plant within us an urgency, God, um, to believe you for great things. Father, our church needs you. And we pray, God, that you would meet us today right where each of us is at in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. You know, it is the nature of things to rise and fall. Economies rise and fall. Personal bank accounts rise and fall. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not receiving that in Jesus' name. Um, our heroes, people that we look up to, rise and fall. And sometimes our faith rises and falls I think that the battle of faith is natural for the Christian, and by that I just simply mean, and maybe this will set your mind at ease this morning, uh, there are times where we have high points in our faith, and there are times where we have low points in our faith. And not only that, I think our faith is challenged as Satan scatters seeds of whispered, whispered doubts. 
You know, there is, there is an adversary, and he is seeking to undermine our faith, and he is the one that's discouraging us from believing and trusting God for great things. Um, all of those things are true, uh, but to say all, I say all of that to say today, I think the most dangerous faith issue in the church today is not the natural ebb and flow or rise and fall of our faith. It's not the reality that our faith is often attacked by the adversary. I think the most dangerous faith issue that we have in today's church is the attitude that says, God, what have you done for me lately? That the faith that's just rooted in the latest miracle or the latest come through that God has worked on our behalf. Um, And I think some of us may be kind of predisposed or built to think that way because of the steady stream of consumer-based messages that are preached and taught from today's pulpits. You know, the type of message that puts us in the driver's seat, the type of message that shapes God as a celestial Santa Claus, kind of a veritable vending machine where we put in our religious works and we get what we want back. We have built a God that does our bidding instead of the other way around. And the danger of this is, well, at least one danger is it produces a kind of faith that only lasts as long as the momentum created by the last miracle. And I think today what we're going to see in this portion of Scripture, we'll talk about this in a second, this strong warning, is that real faith matures beyond being miracle-dependent when it's anchored once and for all in the words of Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Can you say amen to that today? Real faith matures beyond being miracle-dependent when it's anchored once and for all in the words of Christ and his gospel or his crucifixion and his resurrection. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, when you read this story, there's tension in this story. There's, there's, there's struggle in this story because we see two things seemingly at work. On the one hand, we have uh, Galileans that were welcoming Jesus uh, and Um, this individual, this father who had a suffering son coming to Jesus. And then on the other hand, we have Jesus saying these really strong words, almost almost as if, and if you caught this, then then you're right on track, almost as if a warning. Not a commendation, but a correction. And so you have somebody with this real existential need that's struggling and suffering, and your heart goes out to him, and it's almost as if when you read this portion of Scripture, Jesus in a way, pushes this man away and maybe even corrects him for being so dependent on the next sign or the next miracle or the next wonder. Um, And what we're going to do today is we're going to try to surgically separate these issues out and understand, and I think, you know, you'll get this as we dig into even some of the original language in this section of scripture, try to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. The hope today is this. I'm going to give you four exhortations. Can you handle four today? You look, I can just tell on the look of your face, all right? You guys can handle four today. I'm going to give you four exhortations, and the hope today is this, that these exhortations stabilize and strengthen your faith. And part of that's going to be just a simple reminder about what our our faith is supposed to be in in the first place. And then the second piece that I hope that we get Um, I believe that it's God's will for us to get today, is a fresh experience of the power of God in our life. Does anybody want that this morning? Yeah. And then not just a fresh experience of God's power in our life, 
but a fresh experience of the power of God in the lives of those that we love. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to work through this pretty simply this morning. Point number one, exhortation number one um, is this. And I think it's apropos, and I don't mean to like, I don't mean to come down hard and heavy on uh, American Christian culture, but I think this is an apropos exhortation because, you know, in our Christian culture, we can be all about ourselves, um, and that is never stabilizing for your faith, and it really doesn't always help the people who are in need around you. So exhortation number one is this. Take a break from yourself and bring others to Jesus. Take a break from yourself. You're like, man, I never think about myself. Liar. <laughs> Liar. I mean, I think if um, we were able to see a, a printout, you know how you can on your iPhone, it uh, analyzes the amount of time, the screen time that you had. And some of you get to the end of the week and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I spent 10 hours looking at my iPhone and it breaks all the little details down of the different apps that you use. Well, I think if we had an evaluation of all the time that we spend thinking about ourselves and taking care of ourselves and fixing ourselves and being consumed with ourselves, we probably would be really, really shocked. So before you say, I don't have time to take a break for myself, let me just say back to you, you have time to take a break from yourself. This man was a man who took a risk. You know, he came to Jesus and and he came with great need. Uh, we're going to talk about the attitude, the disposition of the Galileans in just a second. But, but this guy who comes from Capernaum was a royal official. Maybe your Bible translation says a noble man. He was on Herod, King Herod. This is one of the Tetrarchs, not Herod the Great, uh, but a descendant of Herod the Great. He was on his payroll. I mean, this guy would have been a man of influence. He would have been a man of stature. You know, he, he probably would have had, had things pretty settled in his life, well taken care of. Um, and for him to take a step and to, to come with this need to this rabbi from Nazareth, I mean, it was a pretty significant step for him to take. And it would have been, it would have been humbly, humbling to him. I'm grateful that this man was wise enough to be humble. I'm, I'm grateful that this man, when he had real need in his life, regardless of how sophisticated he was, and let me just remind you, you're not too sophisticated to come to Jesus, right? No matter how sophisticated he was and well-placed he was and well-networked he was, no matter, you know, how he maybe needed to keep up his image and his appearance and his reputation, he was willing to humble himself and to go to the one who was really able to meet his need. I wonder how many people today are held back from experiencing a miracle because they just simply won't humble themselves. You know, they perceive themselves to be too good to go to Jesus. You're not too good to go to Jesus. And in fact, you should go to the one who is really able to do something about the need that you have. Do you have a need today? Anybody in the house today with the need? Listen, maybe you got a, maybe you got a money need Maybe you've got a, a joy need in your life today. Maybe there's just been a lot of discouragement and depression. Maybe today you have a, a mountain that needs to be moved, need in your life. Maybe the need's not your need. Maybe the need's somebody else's need. Maybe you have a wayward child, you know, some, a, a child that you raised up in the training and the admonition of the Lord, and they've gone sideways, and they're, they're walking in evil, and they're walking in, in wickedness. Listen, in your need, where do you turn? What does your need drive you to? 
because you know your need should be driving you to Jesus Christ. There is power in prayer, church. Let me remind you of that simple thing today. There is power in prayer. When you have a need, the best thing that you can do is bring your need to the Lord, but there's not only power in prayer, there's power in intercession. Not only bringing your need to the Lord, but bringing the needs of others as well. Rachel, my wife, and I were talking about intercession this week, and she had read something that was interesting about intercession. Um, This author likened intercession to coming alongside of someone who was burdened under something and helping them lift it up so that they're able to bear the burden. Someone who is in need. Right? Someone who is, in struggle, who is struggling. Intercession is coming alongside of that person and lifting up the other end so that burden is bearable. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church. Amen. <laughs> You're supposed to be held up. You're supposed to be held up by your brothers and sisters. Not held back, but you're supposed to be held up by your brothers and sisters. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for how many miracles we experience on a weekly basis as we intercede for one another. I'll tell you right now, there are physical healings that get poured out into this church to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. There's strength that gets poured out into people's lives as they're walking through times of weakness. There's courage that God supplies to people as his people are praying for one another. Courage uh, in the face of fear to choose to walk in faith. In times of pain, God brings hope. In times where we're struggling with a, a wayward loved one, maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a child, to seek the face of God and to see that heart turn t- towards him once again. The greatest miracle of all to be able to intercede for those who are lost and to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a place, I want to tell you today, you may have rolled in all by yourself with the need that you're bearing all alone, but but you're not going to bear it by yourself today. Your brothers and sisters are going to come alongside of you. We're going to have an opportunity later on in today's service for the people of God to intercede on your behalf and to, to lift that burden up in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you, instead of toiling and fixing and frustrating and complaining, start with praying. You know, if we spend as much time praying as we did complaining, how many more miracles? You know what I'm talking about? You know, your difficulty, your challenge, your spouse, your spouse. You know, and I love moments like this because I just kind of survey the the congregation, when I say something like that, and I, you can kind of see where the points of tension are at, you know, busted this morning for sure. But instead of complaining and bickering and nagging, I want to encourage you today to try praying. Bring your loved ones to Jesus. And not only that, but when somebody in the church needs prayer and that prayer request is presented, Pray for them in that moment. You know, you're hanging out at Beyond, and you're in line to get a cup of coffee, and you turn around, and there's someone that you know, and you're like, hey, man, how's it going? And, you know, they just unload. They unload their burden. They're like, well, you know, I'm glad you asked because it's been a miserable week. You know, my truck broke, and my gun doesn't work, and my dog died. This is all a country song, by the way. And, and, you know, you're like literally, you're smiling on the outside, but you're thinking on the inside, I just want my cup of coffee. 
you know what? I, I got enough of my own problems. And so you know what you do. You close the conversation out like every good, well-meaning Christian does by saying, you know what, I'll pray for you, bro. And that, of course, is a sign, it's a signal, you know, because we have our own language where, you know, we know the conversation's over, right? Period, end of conversation. Um, I want to encourage you to do a better thing, and the better thing is to take a minute and pray right there, right? Your, your coffee, <laughs> your coffee. Your coffee is going to come, it's going to be okay, and no one's going to complain. I mean, the, the very fact is, you might have other people around you that are like, yeah, was, this is awesome, let's lay hands on each other, let's pray for, for, for this person in this moment. And don't just do that in the church. Don't just do that, let me just say it differently, don't just do that when you're on property here. You know, pray for people when you're out in the world, Pray for people when you're working in the casino and a, you know, a co-worker's really, really going through it. And you know, they may be an unbelieving person. I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, they're not gonna turn prayer down. You know, if you can say, hey, listen, you know, can we just take a second right now? I believe that God is present and that he answers prayer. Can I pray for you in this moment? Nine times out of 10, you're gonna get somebody that says, you know, thank you so much. And who knows what kind of door that opens for the gospel, not just for that person, but for other people who are watching going, wait a minute, wow, check this out. You know, you can really pray and believe that God answers prayer. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And S.D. Gordon said this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Listen, I want to encourage you today, number one, take a break from yourself and Bring others to Jesus. The second thing is this. Resist miracle-dependent faith and anchor yourself to the gospel. The second exhortation for us this morning from these scriptures is resist miracle-dependent faith and anchor yourself to the gospel. Now, as you go back and you read the initial verses that we read together, what you see is this picture of the Galileans, the people in Galilee, welcoming Jesus. And I know on the outset that looks like a good thing. Um, but there was something that Jesus was going to correct them for. Um, these Galileans had heard about water being turned to wine. Um, the scripture says, as we just read it, they had been down in Jerusalem. And there were other miracles and wonders that Jesus had worked in Jerusalem that they had seen with their own eyes. And now they had gone back home to the Galilee. And Jesus and his disciples had made their way up through Samaria to get back to the Galilee again. And there, uh, he and his disciples are in Cana of Galilee. And when they see Jesus coming, they welcome him. Now, what is the problem with this? Well, they weren't welcoming him as a Messiah. They were welcoming him as a miracle worker, right? It, it was in their minds, and we know this is true because he's gonna correct them for it in just a second. Um, in their minds was this, oh, here he is, Maybe we'll be able to see another sign or another miracle or another wonder because it was an amazing thing to behold. It was an extraordinary thing to see Jesus heal the sick and exercise demons 
uh, from people. It was, for some people, a show. I think for, for Herod, um, this for sure was true. You remember during the Passion Week, the Bible teaches that Jesus, after he was betrayed in the garden, he was taken to the court of Caiaphas. He was handed over to Pilate. Pilate wanted nothing to do with him, and so Pilate sent him to Herod because Herod, the Tetrarch, was in Jerusalem at the time celebrating the Feast of Passover. And the Bible says Herod was really glad that Jesus was before him because he always wanted to see a sign. He himself wanted to, to, to be able to see the show, to see a miracle work. Well, that was kind of the attitude of these people. And so this person who's in need comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, unless, check this out in verse 48, unless you see signs. Now, Jesus' statement is not directed to the man. He speaks to the man, but the word you is plural. And so if you're reading the New International Version today, um, your version says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you people will not believe. And so while he's speaking to the man, and the man's going to get the message, we're going to see that in just a moment, his, his correction, it wasn't a commendation, his correction were to the people at large. And the correction that he was making was, was something like this. You guys are miracle junkies. You're just miracle junkies. You've just come for the show. You've come for the event. You've come for the emotional high that you're getting from observing these things being done. By the way, emotional highs can be manufactured. And sometimes we are emotional creatures. We're created in the image of God. Thank God we're emotional. Right? Thank God we carry emotions. Thank God that there's emotions in our worship of God. If there wasn't emotions in our worship of God, we would have to wonder whether or not it's really worship in the first place. But you know, it's easy sometimes in the modern church to manufacture um, situations, to create a show, to generate emotions among the people of God that become a substitute it becomes a show, it becomes an event, um, it becomes an emotional reaction, you know, a broken cistern that really doesn't contain the living waters of God, something that God has not necessarily called us to base our faith in. Your faith should not be a miracle-based faith. If you have a miracle-based faith, by that I'm just simply saying your, your faith is only as strong as the next thing that God does in your life, you have to really wonder whether it's faith in the first place. You know, there's a, a story some time ago of a storm that swept through England, and the, you know, the, the results of the storm were really uh, catastrophic. I mean, there were full forests that were just wiped out by these high winds, and as they, you know, people were wondering, why, why was it? I mean, we've had high winds before. Why were these whole forests just wiped out? And in this particular area, you know, they started doing some research, and what they discovered was that all of these trees were planted in something like a, a wetland where the water really was always at the surface and not, and not deep down underneath the soil. And because the water was at the surface, the root structure of these trees never went down deep. The root structure stayed at surface level, and that made the trees very vulnerable to high winds, so much so that when this storm blew through, because there was no depth of root for these trees, they were literally uprooted. 
And if your, if your faith is rooted in the next thing, the next good thing that God does in your life, your faith is going to be shallow. You know, I think this is true, and if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you don't really know the condition of your faith until you're in the storm, right? It's not, it's not until the winds are really pushing hard against you. It's not until that timing that you were expecting God to come through in is postponed to some extent. It's not until that miracle that you're hoping for doesn't turn out the way that you were expecting. It's in that place of adversity that we learn more about ourselves than really we are learning about the Lord. It's like a mirror sometimes that shows us the real condition of our faith. What happens? What happens in your life when prayer doesn't work out the way that you want it to or, or when the miracle never comes to pass? Years ago, uh, when we were planting a church in New England, we were on a local te television station, had a really good relationship with the station manager. Um, he wasn't opposed to Christianity, um, but you know, he for sure did not seem to be a Christian to me. He wanted nothing to do with faith, um, although you know, he had no problem with us broadcasting our services on uh, the local television network, um, I learned something about this guy. I didn't realize it. The station uh, assistant was telling me a little, about, a little bit about his backstory, and she said, you know, Steve, Steve used to go to church, and he went to church many years ago. Um, he was part of one of those churches, you know, that teaches if you, if you just have the faith that God will work a miracle, you know, what she was talking about was a word of faith church that, that says, well, if you just believe, if you just have enough faith, you can basically dictate to God and God will do what you want him to do. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you didn't have enough faith. And she was relaying the story to me about, about Steve and, and um, he was part of this church, one of these churches as a young man and, and his dad got cancer. And so everyone in the church and the leadership of the church was just saying to him, hey, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, well, his dad died. And his faith that was rooted in a miracle that was built on false theology died when his dad died. Your faith has to be rooted in something more than the latest miracle that God has done for you. Now, you might be thinking today, well, wait a minute, pastor, um, isn't this isn't this gospel account built on signs? Don't signs matter? And I say to you, signs do matter, but they're not the object of our faith. The purpose of a sign is to direct us to something. You say, well, what does a sign direct us to? Signs direct us to Jesus Christ. Signs direct us to the object of our faith, which is the person of Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. That, my brothers and sisters, is what you anchor your faith to. You anchor, and you have to anchor your faith into the immovable reality that God loved you so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross for your sins and that Christ was victoriously raised on the third day. When you anchor yourself in that... When you anchor yourself in that and the hardship comes, you're able to say to God sincerely and honestly, God, I don't understand, right? God, this does hurt. 
God, this has left a hole in my heart. But one thing I know for sure is that you love me. And even in those moments where the path is not clear, God, I know it's clear to you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to your hand. You know, our kids are older now, but I will never forget, you know, leading them across the street and that little hand reaching up to hold my hand. And you know that's what walking with God is like. You're placing your hand, you're, you're like, I'm too tough to do that, Pastor. I'm a tough guy. Tough guys hold the hand of their Heavenly Father, all right? <laughs> tough guys hold the hand of their Heavenly Father. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1.22. He said, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. I want to encourage you today, church, more yourself to the master, Moor yourself to the master. Anchor yourself to the unchanging one, and he will never fail you. The third thing today is this. Uh, live with a sense of urgency. I want to encourage you to live with a sense of urgency. So the Bible says, Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, this is just his response, sir, come down before my child dies. Sir, come down before my child dies. I, I, I hear these words that he's spoken. I think, you know, probably in his mind, his head is spinning, his child is suffering. He's like, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that sign and, and wonder stuff. All I know is I have a son who's about to die. My need is now. My need is urgent. You know, what moved Jesus to meet this man's need? Obviously, it was love, but I also think it was a sense of urgency, right? There was an, there was an urgency that compelled this man to travel 20 miles. There was an urgency that compelled this man to humble himself. This, there was an urgency uh, in this man's life to resist the tendency to be too sophisticated to come to Jesus and to just humbly present his need before Christ and these Galileans. Urgency today should be driving us to Jesus. Can you say amen to that this morning? Thank you for saying that. Because the reality is there's no urgency in the church. There's very little urgency in the church. Do you have an urgent need today? Like we were mentioning, maybe it's, maybe it's finances, and, or maybe it's family, or maybe there's an internal need. And, and as, as, as much as we might say there are urgent needs in our lives, you would think that would be manifested in prayer meetings filled to capacity, right? I mean, because if God's people are really living in a state or a, with a sense of urgency, it will drive all of us collectively to prayer, I remember in 2008, when the Great Recession hit, um, I mean, people's, people's lives changed radically. People were losing businesses, and, you know, their assets were being, were evaporating. And so, noticing the significance of the moment, I called a, a prayer meeting, and our chapel was filled with, some of you were there, our chapel was filled with hundreds of people. I mean, there were 400 people plus, because there was a sense of urgency, the people were recognizing that the need was now, and God was the only one who was able to meet the need. And I would say to you today that we are living, we are living in the same state, the same condition. The, the, the need is as urgent today as it was in 2008. 
This saying uh, from Tozer is not an easy one to receive, but he said this. I think it's important for us today. The complacency of Christians is the scandal of Christianity. Yeah, somebody say wow out loud to that one. The complacency of Christians is the scandal of Christianity. Why? Why did he make that statement? Because we, of all people, know what's at stake. We, of all people, know what's at stake. We know that eternity is hanging in the balance for people. We know that the world is living under um, unbelievable deception. And this should be driving us and compelling us. Are you with me today, church, on this? I just, I just gotta, I gotta get a heartbeat. I gotta get a pulse. You know, we have a nation that's in need. I was thinking uh, earlier this week about the statement and the Declaration of Independence that says we hold these truths to be self-evident. But I would say to you, what is self-evident anymore? Right? What is self-evident? You would think that there would be things that are just plain common sense, but common sense isn't common any longer. You know, I think people today believe that gender is based in subjective preference, not in biology. People believe that narcotics are a recreational right. People believe in the freedom of speech unless, or for everyone, unless you're intolerant and then we'll just cancel you. People believe that all religions should be tolerated except the intolerant religions and therefore we tolerate everyone unless we think that you're intolerant, then we won't tolerate you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, doesn't it make your head spin sometimes? It's like, aren't you, aren't you sometimes reading the news and talking to people and thinking, man, you guys, the, the world is upside down. The world is upside down. Humanity is spinning, right? And it's not just spinning out there. It's, it's spinning in here. It's infiltrating the church, and you know what, we can get all riled up and angry and we can complain and we can picket and we can cancel, but we, what we ought to be doing is we, first and foremost, I'm not saying it's the only thing we should be doing, but we shouldn't do anything else until we do this. We should be praying. We should be seeking the face of the Father. We should be pleading him for an awakening because you know what, it's the deception of the devil. It is, the, it is the veil of the wicked one, the God of this age, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that hangs over the heads and the hearts of the people, lest they see the glory of Christ. And what we need to ask God to do is rend the veil. He's got to rend the veil. He's got to turn the deception upside down. He's got to shine his light where there's, there's been darkness. And you say, well, why isn't he doing it? And I say, look, all I know is this. Until we pray, until we pray, until God's people are serious about seeking the face of the Father and really leaning in on their knees and beseeching and pleading and weeping over the lost, how could we assume him to do anything? God has called us to be the light of the world. You say, well, pastor, how does that even connect with the second sign? I say it connects because the power of Jesus transcends time and space. The power of Jesus transcends time and space. I love this. Like, check this out. The, the father comes. He's, he's hurting, right? His son is in need. Jesus, looking at him, corrects the multitudes. The father says, look, I don't know about all that. Just heal my son. And Jesus simply says to him, go, your son will live. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's you know, what's, what's conspicuously missing from this story is any information about this kid. 
It's like I could see the father saying, well, wait a minute, I never told you what his name was. You know, like, like Lord, you don't even know where we live. You don't even know where we live. Don't you need me to give you the, the, the diagnosis of the doctors? Let me just tell you. Let me, okay, his name's Jimmy. Um, we live, you know, first and Walnut right next to the Sea of Galilee. You know, it's a nice little house. It's a little plaster on the outside. It's got a nice deck on, on top, you know, because I make some good money. Um, I've gone to the doctors, and this is what the doctors have said. This is the prognosis. This is the medication that he's on. Isn't it interesting to you that all of that is missing, it, just conspicuously missing from this story? Because he doesn't need it. Because he doesn't need it. Like, without saying anything, what he's saying is, I know. I know your son. I know him. In fact, I knew you before you got here. I knew your need before you arrived. I watched you on, just like with Nathaniel underneath the tree, I watched you hoof it all the way from Capernaum to Cana of Galilee, and I was waiting for you to get here. I know your boy's name. I know your boy's name. I know your boy's suffering. I don't need the doctors to tell me. I don't need the doctors to tell me. I don't need to hear what their prognosis is. I don't need your address because I know where you live. And guess what? I can heal without being there. Like, I'm, I'm so powerful. My, my power transcends time and space itself. All I have to do is speak the word, and it's as good as done. Like, that's, that's who we serve. That's who we serve, and, and when we pray, listen, it's, it's not that, you know, we had an issue uh, a week ago at the church, and, and I'm, like, I'm like, God, this is your problem, and let me tell you who it was right now. No, I'm just kidding, because that's all you want to know. I'm like, God, this is your problem. This is your problem. You place your problems in the one whose power transcends time and space itself, like he knows, hey, you're burdened today with a, a child that's wayward and just off the rails and walking in wickedness and, and evil, on, or, or you have a child that's suffering physically, like as a parent, is there, there's nothing more difficult than that. There's nothing heavier to bear than that, and you can take consolation and hope today in knowing that he knows, and knowing that he knows. Listen, if, I, if he knows, then why bring it to him? Because he wants you to bear your burden to him. He wants, you know, it's not that you need to fill the information in because he doesn't know. But he wants to hear that expression of trust and faith. God, please. And in that process, he wants you to experience the freedom and the goodness of his grace and peace. Covering and lifting up your heart. He knows today. He knows your need today. He knows the situation today. And what we're going to have as we close the service in just a minute is an opportunity for us to bear one another's burdens. Before we do, the fourth and final exhortation is this. Let, let his word be enough, church. Let Christ's word be enough. Let it be enough. Now, listen, this is the trajectory of this man. Uh, he went down to him asked him to come down to heal his son. Jesus says to the multitude, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. The official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus says, go, your son will live. The, and then, check this out, the man believed the word. The man believed, like there was something at work within this man's heart 
Something shifted. Something changed. It went from you have to come down, you must come down. He won't be healed unless you do come down to, you know what, you've said the word is sufficient for me. You've spoken the word and that is enough for me. This man's faith was ordered the right way. It was faith that preceded the miracle. It was faith that was exercised before the evidence, right? Sometimes we flip it around, and I think that this is what Jesus is correcting the multitudes for. It's like, well, I want to see the evidence, and then I'll have faith. I want the miracle manifested, and then I'll believe. And don't get me wrong, I think that there is a certain encouragement and strength that we rightly receive when God does the miracle in our life, but real faith is exercised before the evidence is manifested. This is what I'm trying to say to you today. Real faith is manifested. Let me take it a step further. Real worship oftentimes is us giving praise to God before he does the miracle, before the signs worked. Right, because, because it's in that moment that we're really, the rubber's hitting the road and we can talk all of these powerful Christian platitudes all day long. I can preach to you guys the principles of God's word, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're rooted down deep into my heart. And it's not until it's, not until it's all going haywire that I really do begin to understand how deeply the principles of God's word are rooted in my heart. And it is the same with you. We need to have a, a belief that is based on the word of Christ and that is sufficient for us. You know, this man gets almost home, right? He probably did not go home that evening. It would have been a dangerous time to travel. He waited. Uh, The next day, he went uh, on his way home. His servants met him and said, hey, listen, great news. Your son has been healed. He does a little investigation, you know, not CSI because the kid actually lived, but, you know, he does a little investigation. And he says, well, what time was it? And they said, well, it was at this time. And he does the math. And he makes the connection. That was exactly when he spoke the words. He connected the dots. He was He was filled with faith, strengthened in his faith that he exercised before the evidence was manifested, and then his faith was contagious with his family. His whole family was impacted by this, impacted when a person chose to trust in the words of Christ. Some you know, time after this, um, Jesus was saying some hard things to his disciples. Some of the disciples didn't like what he was saying, and so they left him. He looks to the 12, and he says, hey, are you guys out too? And Peter, John chapter 6, verse 68, he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah. I love what he doesn't say. I, I love that he doesn't say, where are we going to go? I mean, you, you work the signs and the wonders. I mean, where are we going to go? Who else is going to put on the show? Where, where else are we going to go to, you know, feel good about ourselves from time to time and catch that emotional high that sustains us during the week? That's not, that's not what Peter says. Peter's walked with him long enough to know that the substantial piece of walking with Jesus are, or is believing in his word. Believing in what he has said. You say, well, what, what has he said? He has said to you, if you're a Christian, you will see the kingdom of heaven. He has said to you, if you're a Christian, that you are promised abundant life. 
He has said to you as a Christian, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He has said to you that he's building you a mansion in heaven so that where he is, you may be also. He has promised that when you put your faith in him, that the Father and the Son will indwell you. He has promised, according to his word, that you will have everlasting life. He has promised to be your peace, and he has promised to raise you from the dead to live with him forever and ever. I want to encourage you today with whatever you might be walking through in life, anchor yourself to the words of Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word today and the story of this man's life. And Father, may we be deepened in our faith. May we be strengthened in our faith. God, may we be stabilized in our faith. Help us, God, to not be transactional with our faith to hold it over your head and in a way where we hold you hostage, demanding that our will be done or else. We want, oh God, we, we want to anchor ourselves to Jesus today. And in the strength of what is supplied in the cross and the resurrection, we want to bring our needs to you. We want to be believing and trusting and we want to live with a sense of urgency, Father. We want to be compelled to, to experience breakthrough in our prayer life cut our prayer relationship with you, our devotional life, our communion with you, our intimacy with you, God. We ask, Father, today in Jesus' name that you would just rebuke the adversary and the many lies, God, that he has heaped up against your people. Pray for a newness, a refreshing, a cleansing, God. We, we need the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus upon our lives. This morning, we're gonna, we're gonna end our time together a little differently. And um, if you can't, come to church and get some prayer, then there's, there's a real problem. Uh, today we wanna, we wanna have an opportunity to intercede and to bring the need that you have today before the Father and, and to present it to him and, and to, to ask him to work supernaturally in your life and to supply exactly what it is that you need and in just a mighty way. We wanna... We want to help bear the burden that you might be bearing this morning, whatever it is. Maybe today it, 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 it's financial or, or there's been loss in your life or, you know, you're struggling with joy or you've been really discouraged. Maybe today you have a wayward son or daughter or a wayward spouse. Let's, let's have the opportunity today to pray 
and to lift these things up to God and to ask him, to ask him to speak the word, to ask him to speak the word. Now today, Sam and the worship team are going to lead us in a song of worship. I'm going to ask all of you to stand this morning right now with me. And then I'm going to invite you, uh, if you have a need today, we have our leaders here up uh, in the front. They are lining the stage, and we want the privilege of praying with you today. You know, you may come in week after week, and you're, you're just, you're bearing a lot. Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking maybe you're a business owner, and, and um, you know, your business is about to close, and there are employees that you're responsible for, and that's been a heavy issue for you to deal with. Well, we want to pray for you today. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and, you know, you can kind of present like it's all together at church. But the truth is that there are real issues that have been like a wedge between you and your spouse. And, and today as a couple, you just need to be prayed for. So Sam is going to lead us in a song of worship. And wherever you're standing right now, you just make your way down to the front. Come up to one of our follow-up leaders and give us the opportunity to pray for you. You might be in the middle of a row and, um, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, well, this is going to be really uncomfortable for people. Don't worry about that. They'll be fine. Just start making your way down to the front so we can lift you up in prayer. Mm-hmm.